Well, you heard Ray say it. It's going to be some interesting weather the next two days. Um, can't really get any consistent data on the timing of the storm. It looks like uh, uh, late morning, we get a break through the afternoon. It happens again in the evening. And then it's going to be a hotter than H-E double hockey stick tomorrow. Not as hot as it's been in Minnesota or Chicago. Um, there's kids in Chicago that are going to school without air conditioning, which is is nuts to me. I mean, I know it's a big expense, but it should be definitely a priority because the other only other alternative is to cancel school in August at the beginning of the year or in May, June at the end of the year. So uh, we will keep an eye on it. And uh, other than that, is there anything on TV tonight? The eight candidates who qualified won't have opening statements. Instead, they each have one minute to answer questions, 30 seconds to respond to follow-ups, and 45 seconds for a closing statement. Positions on the stage were determined by polling, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy at the center podiums. Fox News anchors Brett Baer and Martha McCallum are moderating, with the goal of ensuring every candidate has an opportunity to answer questions and respond to others. In Milwaukee, Jared Halpern, Fox News. And of course, those are the rules for tonight's first GOP debate. By now, we know Donald Trump is not showing up. Um, he is, uh, they're, they're calling it counter-programming with a sit-down interview uh, he did. It was filmed last week with Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson's Twitter X page, um, which obviously is a, is a big coup for both of them. Donald Trump gets to stick it to the RNC and Fox News. Uh, Tucker Carlson gets to stick it to Fox News as well. Um, I, I think what's going to happen is that uh, Tucker Carlson, I mean, he's getting he's he's getting good numbers on his Twitter X page. Um, millions and millions of views. And I think that uh, at, at least early on, the views may outpace the ratings of the uh, debate. Because the views are cumulative. People don't need to watch it live. There'll be a lot of people watching it after it's posted and then re-watching it or, or, or straggling in. So I, I think what's going to happen is Donald Trump and, and Tucker Carlson, they're going to claim a ratings victory over the debate. But uh, they're kind of at an advantage because the debate, their ratings, it's one shot. The ratings is is when it's on. I think there are some um, some DVR ratings as well. But the views on Twitter X are cumulative, so they'll just keep growing and growing over time. Michigan businessman Perry Johnson, it turns out he will not be on the debate stage. And he's actually considering legal action against the Republican National Committee uh, for not being eligible for tonight's debate. Johnson, who he recently passed the 40,000 unique donor threshold to become eligible this week, but he was told by RNC chairwoman Ronna Romney McDaniel that the polls where he was pulling at 1% or better were not recognized by the party because one was in a national survey and the other was conducted by a firm connected to Donald Trump's campaign. Johnson, he contributed $8 million of his own money to his campaign, uh, says he is weighing whether to sue the RNC or focus on becoming eligible for the next debate. And uh, I'm curious. Uh, I, I really don't know the answer to this. Are these polls predetermined? Do the do the candidates know which polls they have to show up uh, at 1% in? Or is it just kind of random? And is the RNC um, picking them willy-nilly without uh, any transparency? Because I feel like that would not be very fair. Uh, Livonia police, they've arrested four people now in connection with the kidnapping of two. Two-week-old twins. Uh, I believe they're 16 days old now. 
uh, Sunday night that triggered that Amber Alert that we were uh, following all day Monday. The babies were allegedly taken from a Livonia hotel where their parents were staying after having their house broken into. Uh, they were meeting two women they met off a Facebook moms group who reached out to them to offer them diapers and gift cards. And then the mother of the twins, she says that she stepped out of the room briefly. And when she came back, the babies were gone. Uh, the babies were later turned into Detroit's ninth precinct, reunited with their parents. And uh, obviously, Livonia and Detroit police are not saying much. My guess is because it's an active investigation, which makes sense. Uh, an Oakland County man, he's suing Olive Garden for $75,000 after he said that he found a severed rat's foot in his minestrone. According to the lawsuit, Thomas Howie of Madison Heights was out to eat with friends at the Warren location where he felt a sharp pain in his mouth and he spit out the rat's foot into a napkin. When Howie brought the rat's foot to restaurant employees' attention, one of them said, that's funny, we don't put meat in the minestrone. That, that quote is actually in the lawsuit. This kind of reads like the onion. Uh, Howie called Warren police, and uh, he said that uh, one officer gagged when he was showed the rat's foot. According to the police report, the foot inside the napkin, quote, appeared to be chewed. That was a quote in the police report. Um, Howie went to urgent care. He received antibiotics and a tetanus shot. So this incident happened back in March. Howie filed the lawsuit on August 18th. He said that he struggled to sleep and eat. Afterwards, he became depressed. He can no longer eat meat, and he's had a number of digestive issues. On top of that, he's suffered a stroke since and requires ongoing medical care. Olive Gunnard says that uh, we have no reason to believe there's any validity to the claim in their statement. Uh, the Macomb County Health Department, they were notified of the incident immediately after, and they found no violations. I got to be honest. If this happened to me, I probably wouldn't care. I'd just say, bring me more unlimited breadsticks and keep it moving. Uh, the attorney who said who, who is said to have hatched the plan for former President Trump to overturn the 2020 election spoke defiantly after turning himself in under indictment in Georgia. Here's Fox's Grinnell Scott. Conservative attorney John Eastman vowed to fight charges in Georgia. My legal team and I will vigorously contest every count of the indictment in which I have been named. He, former President Trump, and 17 others are charged with launching the attempt using alternate electors to keep former President Trump in the White House despite his loss in 2020. Eastman says the facts he knows point to one conclusion. All of my co-defendants and I will be fully vindicated. Scott Hall, accused of breaching election equipment, also surrendered Tuesday. Both will have arraignments in a matter of weeks. Gernal Scott, Fox News. And of course, we know that Donald Trump is scheduled to turn himself in uh, tomorrow. And uh, a lot of people are thinking that was strategic. He's looking to suck most of the oxygen, if not all of the oxygen, out of the post-debate coverage. University of Michigan and Graduate Employees Organization, they reached a tentative contract agreement yesterday after a five-month strike. Uh, official ratification vote, it began yesterday at noon. Official results are expected to be announced on Friday, and uh, classes start on Monday. So this really came down to the wire. University's offer contains proposals for paid childbirth leave, uh, improved transgender health services and COVID-19 accommodations, uh, but does not ensure that all positions receive the same amount of pay, regardless of which campus they work at. So I guess uh, uh, a grad student 
teaching a class at the U of M in Ann Arbor makes less money than one doing it at Dearborn. And, and, and I guess one of the sticking points is they wanted that all equal. They didn't quite get there. Uh, but it will give graduate workers at the Ann Arbor campus a 20% raise over three years. And those that work at the Dearborn campus, a 10.5% raise, uh, which tells me that there are more graduate workers working at the Ann Arbor campus than the Dearborn campus. Um, and Michigan State, they're implementing a number of new safety measures as students return to class over the next few days. I believe yesterday was move-in day. University has opened up a new security operations center that will monitor the campus 24 hours a day. And a number of new cameras, they've been installed. Students will be able to download an app. It's called Safe MSU, which will ensure that they receive emergency alerts as well as gives them access to safety resources and all buildings will require student IDs for access. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Is that our new theme? Is Tijuana Brass? It's it's it You're, just is so I, I'm just feeling I'm so I'm telling heavy. you, man. Where are the margaritas? <laughs> Your call is important to us. Please hold for the next <laughs> right. available representative. Right. Exactly. This call may be monitored for quality assurances. All right, so uh, it's the big night tonight, the uh, first Republican debate of the uh, campaign season. Going to be on what? Yeah, I don't know if you've heard. Is that going on today? You got well. You guys probably have been looking forward to the Donald Trump Tucker Carlson conversation. You forgot all about it, but uh, it'll also be carried here on WJR. We're gonna we're gonna have coverage from from eight p.m. Uh, to midnight. But uh, obviously, we know Donald Trump won't be there. Uh, Perry Johnson won't be there. Uh, so and he's good and whipped up. Yeah, Perry. Uh, well, so he's, he's going to bite the hand that hasn't fed him yet. Well, here's my question. Okay, um, Perry Johnson. He's he's considering a lawsuit against the uh, Republican National Committee uh, because he did pass that forty thousand do- donor threshold for selling those what ten dollar gift cards for 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 a dollar. Um, You're really into that. You are so. Well, here's the thing. You're so geeked up for that. Here's the thing. Like, like where's three, my gift card? Three other candidates are doing it, and I, I'm mad I didn't find out about it till it's too late. So I'm hoping they're doing it because uh, I'm going to be like Oprah at Christmas. Mike. Lloyd, you get a gift card. Guy, you get a gift card. Nick, you get a gift card. I'll, I'll start clipping coupons for you, dude. Yeah. All right. You can just. You, can you got just better pay, chances, right? You can just give me money directly. We can cut out the middleman, but. Uh, and so Perry Johnson, he was disqualified because uh, Rana McDaniel, who's head of the RNC, said that two of the polls where he's pulling at 1% or better, not recognized by the party. My question is, and you guys might know this, do the candidates know which polls they have to show up in? Or is it a secret? Is the RNC picking them out willy-nilly? How does that work? I don't know if they go that granular because there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, the, right. the problem is, is how you define likely GOP voter, mm-hmm. and therein lies the, the dispute, apparently. Well, I don't know what they can do about it, but at least they can kind of chart their progress, and, and in the interest of transparency, they know, you know, they, they, they know how they're doing. Here, here's the thing, and, you know, Mr. Johnson, I'll do respect to him, to Asa Hutchinson, to the, if you can't get to 2% after this first debate, you got to drop you out. you got to drop out. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, in the, for the good of the party, and if you truly are believing that, that we need more choices than just Biden and Trump, which, by the way, uh, Epic MRA released a poll here in Michigan showing it's basically a dead heat. 
I mean, this notion that Trump is unelectable in the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. not according to Epic MRA. Well, and the more indictments he faces, the better he does in the polls. I mean, yeah. he put out a, a post on True Social after the in Georgia indictment that said, I only one more indictment and I'll, I'll be guaranteed a reelection. The sad truth, I think the he's right. Renomination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, well, okay, maybe he needs maybe he needs three more indictments to, to, to win the election. The whole thing, yeah. To, to win the nomination, but I think he's right. Uh, so what are, what are we uh, going to be watching for in the debate tonight? I've got a couple of things, but well, I want to hear from you guys. Well, the one thing I'm going to look at is whether Ron DeSantis will be following uh, yes. the, the, the memo, the memo yep. that was out uh, and whether he'll be the puppet master or the puppet from the puppet master and see if he'll do it. Because, listen, if you're going to do it, people are prepared for that. and They're going to be prepared for it. And, you know, he... he he doesn't really know how to deviate a lot of times. He's kind of like on right on, on that same line all the time, you know, woke and a few other things. Yeah, I mean, I think I I I think obviously his campaign is <laughs> crashing and burning right now. I think if he does follow um the strategy that was on the leaked memo, which is yeah. to go after Vivek Ramaswamy, who I actually think is might be a bigger target than Ron DeSantis today because Ron DeSantis is in second place, but Vivek, Vivek is, is going surging. Yeah. He's yeah. the flavor of the week. Yes, yeah. he is. So actually, you know, that might be a sound strategy. Um, and, and then Ron DeSantis, obviously, that, that memo said to defend Donald Trump in absentia. If he does both of those things, I think his, his, his campaign is over. He, ha- he, has to, he has to go against that. So I am going to be watching for the fact that basically voters have said through polls that completely unreasonable, actually, request of those challengers. We want you to separate yourselves from Donald Trump. Tell us about you, but you can't you can't attack the former president. Okay. So the guy that they're supporting the guy who attacks everybody with ad hominem attacks Mm -hmm. with with silly, childish nicknames. Mm -hmm. But you can't engage in that. So they've almost there's unreasonable expectations for these people. So I'm going to be watching for how do they attack him without really attacking him? What are the dog whistles? What are the code words that they're going to be using to do a sub rosa attack on Donald Trump? And I've seized on one word. We're going to be talking about it this morning that I think is the word to watch for okay. this evening uh, in that uh, in that debate. What time are we going to be talking about that on JR Morning? I haven't figured that out yet. So just don't leave your radio. Just listen to the whole thing. <laughs> no, I will be talking about it with John Selleck a little bit later on and, and others. But there is there is a definite... Code word, strategy, DeSantis used it, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy used it, that they're going to criticize Trump without mentioning him by name, by using these few words. Well, and, and that was that's my big question. How big of a topic of conversation will Trump be? And will anyone other than Chris Christie actually go after him if if the opportunity presents itself? I think we're, we're seeing that DeSantis has to is going to do that. I think he wants to look. Everybody expects uh, them to be fighters. We want a fighter, but we don't want you to fight against Donald Trump. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so again, there, there's some unreasonable expectations for these. Folks so going what, in. do you think the, the Trump voters will pick up those cold words that you're. That cold word that oh, you want to talk about? They'll I, pick I, it up I've got to believe it. And he's the king of cold words. Somebody's word. going to be inviting them to the spin room afterwards, even though Fox has not uh, allowed right. them in. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how if they if they pick up on that. But uh, I don't think they're going to necessarily do it by name. They right. will use Trump traits in a negative way, and they will use positive terms in a different way to cast themselves as the anti-Trump. 
And, of course, uh, you've got that Twitter X conversation with with Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump, which was uh, filmed last week. I think that takes a little sizzle away from it. I think it's already four days old, five days exactly. old. In, in Trump world, that's a lifetime. I think if it was live, it'd be a little more buzz. But uh, I don't know. It kind of falls flat otherwise. All right, so uh, storms today and tomorrow, they're having a hard time nailing down locations and time frames, so just keep your head on a swivel. And by the way, it's going to be hotter than Hades tomorrow. So uh, it, what what else is new? That That's that's the way the summer's been going. At least we're not getting any Canadian wildfire smoke as far as I know. Knock on wood. And here's what else you need to know first thing here. The uh, GOP debate tonight the very first GOP debate of the election season. Tonight, 9 o'clock, Fox News in Milwaukee. Donald Trump won't be there, obviously. Uh, he taped a, an interview with Tucker Carlson last week that's going to be on Tucker's Twitter X page. I'm guessing it's going to debut at 9 o'clock, the same time the debate's on, but uh, I don't really have it. Much like the storms, I don't have a, a time frame for that. Perry Johnson, Michigan businessman, he he also will not be there tonight. Uh, the RNC told him that the uh, polls that he was pulling 1% or better in that would make him eligible on top of the 40,000 unique donors that he cleared. Um, he was told those polls were not actually recognized by the RNC as legit polls. So he is considering legal action against the RNC and Ron Aronimi McDaniels. Um, but he's also he's weighing he, he's weighing his options. Does he wanna does he wanna take legal action? Does he wanna sue, or does he just wanna focus on getting uh, eligible for the next debate? Um, Livonia police they've arrested four people now in connection with those two uh, two week old babies that were kidnapped on Sunday night that caused that Amber Alert on Sunday. Uh, luckily, as you know, those babies were. Um, found safe they were turned into the police unharmed and released to their parents but uh, that story is just getting weirder and weirder trump lawyer john eastman he surrendered um in georgia yesterday donald trump is expected to surrender surrender in georgia tomorrow in connection with the indictment of um trying to overturn the election in the state and uh, an Oakland County man is suing Olive Garden for $75,000 because he said that he found a severed rat's foot in his minestrone. So those are the big stories we're following right now. And, of course, news breaks fast, so just keep it here. On WJR through JR Morning and the rest of the day, we'll keep you updated. The University of Michigan, as you heard, they uh, self-suspended football coach Jim Harbaugh for three games for contacting players during the COVID dead period, watching unauthorized practices on Zoom, and then lying to the NCAA um, during their investigation. This was after the NCAA themselves decided to overturn their own four-game suspension. So will Michigan imposing punishment on themselves, will that prevent the NCAA from coming down on them after the season when they revisit Harbaugh's violations? Sean Belegian talks to Kevin and Tom, and I'll talk about it. It's going to be interesting because, listen, Harbaugh still does not admit that he lied. Maybe he maybe he committed some level two violations. But the real issue, the real bugaboo, I guess, with the NCAA is that, no, Harbaugh lied. And that's what we're really concerned about. If he never admits it and he still does his three game suspension, is that going to convince the NCAA of anything? No, I, I, I think 
Uh, to your point, Tom, I, I think there's no question the NC2A is going to do something else. I, I Really, there's no question. Um, as I said, I think the general thinking is, well, maybe it won't be as severe since the institution itself, you know, invoked on its own a three-game suspension. So to Kevin's thinking, maybe next year they add a couple at the beginning, or maybe it's even the first three at the beginning. We'll see how angry uh, the NC2A is about this and if perhaps that anger will be uh, less severe now that Michigan kind of self-imposed themselves. All right. Now to the suspension, the games themselves, how critical are these games and how do you think it's going to impact the uh, the team without Harbaugh there on the sidelines? You could put up a cardboard cutout, and I'm convinced Michigan would win by at least three <laughs> touchdowns in each one of these games. I, 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 grab a mannequin from, you know, a mall that's been sitting in a mall collecting dust for the last 20 years and – no, I mean, the, the early part of this schedule, it, it is not something that I think will factor in in any way, shape, or form to uh, Michigan's success or failure. I have a feeling that uh, Coach Harbaugh wanted to be on the field as the Big Ten champ uh, for the first uh, game of the Big Ten against Rutgers. That's why I think he went for that three and got away from that four. But can you tell us about this uh, high school uh, football coaches uh, that were suspended for the joint practices? What's this all about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There are four coaches that uh, decided to have, uh, you know, kind of joint practices. And as you mentioned, this is something we're seeing a lot in the NFL. But hold on, not so fast. You know, according to the MHSAA, a scrimmage is anytime two teams are on the field at the same time. And quite frankly, they say you can't have a scrimmage until your team is completed at least eight days of practice uh according to the report a few of these uh it was only their first day in full pads and fifth day into practice so that broke the uh mhsaa rule but uh, listen you're going to see more and more of this as, as it becomes so involved with the nfl and oh by the way so do camp fights if you've been following I think you're going to see more and more of this. So I think MHSAA schools, as as we're just a couple of days away from kickoff of the MHSAA season, I think they have to be cognizant of that. Actually, uh, yeah, and I think uh, uh, high school football games start uh, tomorrow night, Thursday. And by the way, for the record, Angelique Shingalis, UM beat writer for the Detroit News, she agrees with Sean on the NCAA not taking it easy on Michigan just because – uh, they self-imposed the three-game suspension on Jim Harbaugh. They think that uh, both of them are in agreement, and the smart money is in agreement that um, the uh, NCAA will probably levy more suspensions against Jim Harbaugh for those violations and lying about them uh, in the off season. But thank God he'll be back for Rutgers, so don't worry. Uh, Joe Mahmoud, a Muslim man who was accused of stealing peaches from Erie Orchards in Monroe, is filing a federal lawsuit against the Orchards owner, Steve Elzinga. Back on August 13th, Mahmoud and his family visited the orchard. They wanted to go peach picking. An employee told them they wouldn't find much out there, but if they did, he gave Mahmoud's family permission to take what they found and don't worry about paying. When Elzinga saw Mahmoud's family trying to leave without paying, he confronted them. He went on an anti-Muslim tirade, uh, accusing all Muslims of stealing from him. Um, Mahmoud 
caught that on video, and that video went viral. Um, Joe Mahmoud's accused Elzinga of going through his truck and not letting them leave until he paid for the peaches. He says that he feared for his family's safety in the moment and that they were traumatized by the event. And uh, on top of this lawsuit, now the Monroe County Sheriff's Department, they've opened a false imprisonment investigation into Elzinga um, for not letting Joe Mahmoud and his family leave. Um, and Ma- uh, I'm sorry, Elzinga, he has posted an apology on the Orchard's website. So uh, we'll see what happens next. The University of Michigan and graduate employees organization, they've reached a tentative contract agreement after a five-month strike. Uh, the vote to ratify began yesterday at noon. Official results are expected to be announced on Friday, just in time because classes start on Monday. Um, the new offer contains proposals for paid childbirth leave, improved transgendered health services, and COVID-19 accommodation procedures. doesn't ensure that all positions receive the same amount of pay across all the campuses. Um, but it will give graduate workers at the Ann Arbor campus a 20% raise over three years and uh, graduate workers at the Dearborn campus a 10.5% raise, uh, which tells me there's more uh, graduate workers at the Ann Arbor campus than the Dearborn campus who are voting on this deal. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Could white-collar workers be forced to cross the picket line to work in a warehouse? Could happen if the UAW goes on strike. Eric Gordon is a clinical assistant professor in the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. He talks with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson about an internal Ford memo that was leaking that leaked last week that's considering that very possibility. Any eyes on what's happening with the UAW? Uh, some of the pre-strike authorization posturing, uh, that authorization vote due to come later this week. I believe it's now set uh, for Thursday. And yet there are some folks that we have heard, at least in the Ford community, they are being told, uh, you may be moved from your white-collar salary job into a blue-collar job in order to keep the parts moving to dealers. They could be dispatched, and they are being asked where they would like to be dispatched uh, around the country at the various parts warehouses and depots. Uh, That presents kind of a conundrum for those that, may not want to cross the picket line, or we may have family members that are actually walking it. Eric Gordon is a clinical assistant professor in the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and has watched many of these uh, dances between uh, the corporate big three and organized labor. Uh, Professor Gordon, good morning. Good morning, Guy. Great to have you with us. Uh, Just talk to me a little bit about this dilemma. Are these white-collared workers obligated to take on these jobs, which they may or may not be uh, trained for, and, and and how much risk is involved for the automakers that are might be putting a square peg into a round hole? You know, they probably are obligated within reason. I mean, I don't think they have to move to Kansas City. But, you know, you are you can be assigned by your employer to various duties. The whole thing will be a bit of a fiasco because um, you have to be trained to do certain things. I mean, the the auto workers are are typically are pretty highly trained people. You know, we saw one time in one of the uh, delivery company, won't mention names, one of their strikes, where they sent uh, office workers out to do the deliveries. And boy, sometimes it worked 
and sometimes it didn't work because it's not easy to drive a delivery truck. It's not easy to work in an assembly plant. So I think, uh, I, I think that's kind of a losing idea. And imagine in your family. I mean, imagine in your family, like, um, you're the kid and you're a white-collar worker and your mom or dad, or both, are walking the picket line and you are going to go do their job um, and then have Thanksgiving dinner with them, boy, that's going to be an extra tense Thanksgiving. Awkward. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so, so tell me, if they're... If if a non-union worker is intimidated by a picketer or, you know, the picketers block access or or there's some type of credible threat of violence, they can refuse to to not cross the picket line. But other than that, I mean, if they refuse, they can be terminated, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they can refuse to cross and the, the company can go after the union for an unfair labor practice for violating the, the federal law. That almost never succeeds because the way the law works is, well, the union members have a lot of leeway to kind of walk around. Mm -hmm. They can't block the entrance, but they can walk around in a big, long line, and you have to walk between them. And they can make a lot of noise. They can use, you know, noisemakers mm -hmm. and bullhorns. They can put up a big rubber rat. Uh, they can do all kinds of stuff that can make you very uncomfortable. It's pretty rare for that to get blocked. Uh, but there are a lot of workers who don't want to cross the lines, not just for family reasons, but because they feel some sense of solidarity with the union workers. And some of them are frightened by the workers, even though it's not scary enough to get any kind of injunction. So uh, it can be a pretty ugly scene. In terms of the these past dilemmas like this, where they, you know, there's a good reason, and, and there may be some compelling reasons why the union would want to keep those parts moving to dealers. Um, you, you don't want to cripple the company, especially if you're getting a profit-sharing check. But couldn't they negotiate a side deal to allow this to keep happening with, with some waivers in, in in certain depots to take them out of the strike? You know, the union could do that. Um, I'm not optimistic that they will this time around, and here's why. The new leader, Sean Fain, has, uh, has really ramped up the rhetoric, not just in terms of volume. He's not just talking more loudly. He's talking more nastily. I mean, he's really turned it into kind of a class warfare thing of management, the fat cats who are overpaid, taking advantage of us. He's kind of demonized management. Uh, he's he may have painted himself into a corner where he can't make the kinds of compromises that would be good for his own members in the long run. And 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 that was a question I had too. You know, there are a lot of uh, issues that he wants uh, to cover and he wants the uh, big three to deal with. But what if he doesn't get everything he wants, but he gets a good deal? Well, you know, if he had started off saying, look, we're going to get some real progress here, then I think it will be easy for him to go back to his members and say, hey, look, ratify this. This is a pretty good deal. But he has taken such a strong stand mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, he's going to have to put his engine in reverse, hit the accelerator, uh, and, to, you know, to convince them to do what would otherwise be a good deal because he's created these expectations of, 
we get this laundry list or it's war. So how's he going to go back and say, well, look, uh, we'll take half the laundry list and that's pretty good. Um, not a good scene for him. I've only got a few seconds left here, but very quickly, are we going to see a three-way strike here? I think we will. I think we'll see total warfare. So it won't be just one strike target. It will be three companies uh, that are going to be benching workers. Yeah, I think he has demonized the car company management as a whole, wants a whole new deal. Uh, the only thing that's consistent with that is to strike at all three. Yeah. The date to watch, September 14th, when this contract expires. Eric Gordon, we're going to be leaning on you heavily. I'm certain a uh, clinical professor at University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. Thank you for your time this morning. My pleasure. Opening arguments for the final accused Governor Whitmer kidnappers begin today in Antrim County, nearly three years after the plot was foiled by authorities. Eric Molitor and brothers William and Michael Knoll, they're being charged with providing material support for terrorist acts and illegal possession of firearms. The three men face up to 20 years in jail and have pled not guilty to the charges. So far, nine other uh, men have been convicted in either state or federal court. Two others have been acquitted. Michigan State Police have made an arrest in a hit-and-run case that killed a 14-year-old Warren boy. The 14-year-old boy was hit around 425 on Friday morning uh, when he was walking on the ramp from Grossbeck to 696. The driver fled the scene. And uh, over the weekend, Fermi 2, the nuclear plant, was shut down after a sensor detected a reactor coolant leak. Workers soon discovered, located, and repaired that leak. DTE tells our friends over at the Metro Times that the public is not in danger and that the plant is in safe, stable conditions. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons on WJR.